Welcome to Explain It for the second Sunday after Epiphany, and the Gospel is the Gospel of John, chapter 2. So there are big questions in this world, and uh, they revolve around uh, God himself. Now, first of all, is there a God? And if there is a God, is he among his creation? Is he uh, with his people, or is he distant and and far off? Um, And what's his heart like? Is he for us, or is he against us, or or just is he indifferent about the events of this world? Well, the season of Epiphany helps us uh, with some big answers. So the word simply means manifestation, or you could say God in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, in Epiphany, you see this. You see this manifestation of God in the flesh with the coming of the Magi, and they bow down and worship before the King of the Jews. You see it in the baptism of Jesus, the voice from heaven saying, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, and the, and the Spirit of God descends upon, upon him. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there at the baptism. You have uh, Jesus in the temple. You have the text today, which is the wedding at Cana, and the miracle, the first miracle of uh, Jesus turning the water into wine. So in Jesus, uh, Epiphany helps us understand, uh, in Jesus, God is with us. He is among his people. Why? For what purpose? Well, so that he might become sin for us. So he comes in the flesh, God incarnate in the flesh to become sin for us, uh, to offer a great exchange. His uh, good works, his righteousness is uh, given to us in his death and his resurrection, and he takes away uh, the sin of the world. This is the message really then of, uh, of the gospel. Psalm 66 says, come and see what God has done and how awesome his works in man's behalf. So, uh, really, if you want to think of it uh, this way, that's really a definition of evangelism or the proclamation of good news. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. And this is really the scriptural pattern of evangelism, the scriptural pattern of the proclamation of good news. First, you hear it uh, or you see it and you say, well, my eyes have seen you bear witness to it then. Um, a word is testify. You give a testimony to it. You, you say, I have seen this. I have heard it. And then you invite others to come and hear this good news, to, to see uh, for themselves all of the gifts that only Christ can give. So really that's uh, what invitation to the divine service or to worship is. You know, you first hear that good news proclaimed to you and you receive it and you see it in the word and sacraments given to you. Uh, You bear witness to it then, you tell others, and you invite them to come and to hear it and to see it for themselves. This is also the pattern we see in John chapter 1. So the story is about Andrew, um, and we know him as Simon Peter's brother from the text. And he hears John the Baptist uh, say such things as, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so the first thing it says here that Andrew, after hearing this and seeing it, goes and finds his brother and tells him, we found the one called the Messiah. 
So the Messiah is just an, uh, an Old Testament term, which means the one or the chosen one, translated as uh, Christ also, uh, which means the one who has been promised from Genesis chapter 3. The one who would come into this world would be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. So Andrew hears this, sees, uh, sees Jesus, uh, goes and tells Peter and brings Peter to Jesus. The text continues by saying, uh, the next day Jesus leaves for Galilee and he finds Philip. And he says to Philip, follow me. And Philip is from the same little town, uh, Bethsaida, uh, that Andrew and Peter are from. And Philip goes and finds Nathanael and says the same thing. We found the one. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Um, so uh, Philip says, this is the one that all of the Old Testament that, that we have been reading and hearing and studying uh, has talked about and has told us to look for. We have, uh, we have found this one, the Messiah. Now, they leave for uh, Galilee, and they go to a little town called Cana. And it says, after three days, uh, there was a wedding that took place. So it gives us a little insight that says, well, Jesus left for Galilee because he had a wedding to attend. And it must have been some type of family friend or relative because they're, uh, the mother of Jesus is helping with the wedding. And Jesus and his disciples, uh, they had also been invited to the wedding. Now, why go to the wedding? Um, this seems like an everyday, ordinary event that takes place, you know, kind of like um, in our world, family uh, gatherings, community events, uh, special occasions. And usually we think about, you know, the Bible is talking about big, you know, cosmic events. And here is this everyday um, event of uh, a celebration that a family has uh, at a wedding. So why, why have this story and why go to the wedding? Well, I think uh, the text is uh, helpful and, um, and help us understand that Jesus is our brother. Um, and so again, God takes on human flesh and now dwells among his creation. He is part of the human family. And so what do uh, members of the family do? Well, they go to all of the uh, everyday events. So Jesus um, goes to synagogue and temple with his family. Uh, he goes to feasts and festivals with his family. Uh, he attends weddings. He, we find later in, in Gospel of John, he goes to the funeral of his dear friend Lazarus. And he's there with Mary and Martha and very... Um, uh, clear and filled with emotion, uh, the text says that he weeps. And he does um, the human, the, probably one of the most human things. So being born also uh, leads to uh, a death. So he is our brother in the fullest sense of the world. He is born into this world, but he also knows what it's like uh, to suffer, to die, and to be put into the grave. He rises on the third day, we'll find that he is the manifestation of God himself, uh, victorious over sin and death and the devil, but also uh, fully uh, understanding 
and experiencing, and as, as the Hebrew uh, writer says, sympathizing with all of our weaknesses. So he joins us and we join with him. He's our, he's our brother. So he goes to the wedding. Another reason is that he goes to the wedding to declare God's delight. Um, God is the one who instituted, uh, this, um, uh, this, uh, beautiful gift of marriage. So it's not a social idea. It's not a social um, construct. It is God himself who instituted it from the very beginning. Husband and wife together, uh, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And this beautiful gift of marriage, again, which is God's idea, then becomes a reflection of uh, the relationship that God has with his his people. Now, sadly, uh, this relationship is uh, one-sided at best. God is faithful to his people, but we've, we hear continually, especially in the prophets, that his bride, his people, are adulterous and unfaithful to him. So Hosea is uh, this stunning a picture of an unfaithful people to their God, lived out with the prophet um, taking an adulterous wife. Hosea chapter 1 says, When the Lord began to speak through, through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So, a uh, faithful husband unfaithful people. Jeremiah speaks of it clearly. He says, return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So this this wedding at Cana, um, it, first of all, it's God's idea, right? The marriage uh, institution is God's uh, blessed idea. Um, but it's also a reflection of what Jesus wants to become for his church. Revelations chapter 19 says, uh, Well, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And how Ephesians chapter 5 uh, speaks of how husbands and wives, they are to love each other, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy. So he's there at the wedding. He's a part of the human race, part of this family, going to all of the events. Um, but he's also there uh, to bless the institution that God has so beautifully gifted to this world, uh, the institution of marriage. Now there's a celebration, right? As with all, all uh, family events. And in John chapter 2, it says, the wine ran out. And when the wine uh, was gone, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. Um, and he responds, and it's somewhat strange to our ears. You know, this is what he says to his mother. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And we hear it uh, as a rebuke. And his mother says to the servants, well, do whatever he, he tells you. So we have this request of a Mary. She goes to her son and says, they have no more wine. And I think underneath that is, you have to do something. Uh, Jesus uh, has a rebuke, 
Why do you involve me? It's not my time yet. And then there's, uh, I think, a, a redirect then. Um, Mary just simply says to those around, uh, do whatever he tells you. So she states the need. And again, this might be, you know, a little bit more than they have no more wine. Uh, again, it might be this idea of you have to do something. This is, this is bad. Um, you gotta, you know, act in some way. Um, and Jesus says, well, it's, it's not my time. Why do you involve me? So I think a model of prayer, uh, really uh, can be this, that when we pray in our humanness and weakness, we don't always, uh, you know, do this, right? But I think this is a good pattern to simply state the need. They have no more wine. But don't don't dictate the means or uh, the way that God should meet that need or, or uh, address uh, the problem. But rather, trusting that in faith the Holy Spirit will give you uh, this boldness and this confidence to believe that when you have stated the need as a dear child uh, to a parent, um, you commit it into his hands, and then in faith we do whatever he we do whatever he says. So she states the need, um, and she says, "Just do whatever he tells you." And uh, miraculously, Jesus turns this water into wine. Now, water and wine uh, have a lot of biblical um, references, uh, especially in the Old Testament. You think of the water being turned into blood. Uh, well, that's the plague, right, in, uh, in the book of Exodus. You have water to wine. Uh, you see that as an act of a blessing in the gospel. And then you have the wine given to us in the sacrament, and this is, is the blood of of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. So um, there's a sense of abundance. So when you have an overflowing of wine, this is a sense of God's blessing or abundance. So Psalm 67 say, says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and to, to make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Well, that's an epiphany, really, prayer, right? Manifest yourself. It says, then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us, and God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. So there be this abundant blessing, and uh, the nations will, will see it. Amos uh, gives a direct reference to this idea of an abundance of wine in the days of the Messiah. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and, and I will bring back my exiled people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them, and they will plant vineyards and, and drink their wine, and they will make gardens and eat their fruit, and, and I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So this, this sense of of God among his people, um, and the turning of water into wine, uh, this, uh, this idea of, of abundance. And it's really good wine, too. In John chapter 1, you know, the steward of the banquet says, you know, most people, they, uh, they serve the good wine first, and then everyone has a little too much to drink, and then they bring out the, you know, less than standard wine. But you have saved uh, the best for last. 
At the end of John chapter 1, um, this account in verse 11 says, this is the first of his miraculous signs that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. And he thus, here's the epiphany, you know, phrase, revealed his glory. He's manifesting it. He's, he's making known to the people that God is here among them, that he is, he is for them. And it says that his disciples put their faith in him. So in Jesus, epiphany. In Jesus, God is with us. God is among his people. He is our brother. For what purpose? Well, so that he might become sin for us. So big questions, but big answers in the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus.